Transportation is a journey connecting us in our everyday lives. This podcast series, TRB's Transportation Explorers, takes you on that journey with meaningful conversations with the experts behind the research. They often have an early eye on how we'll build the transportation of tomorrow. Hi, I'm Elaine Farrell. And I'm Paul Mackey with the Transportation Research Board of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine based in Washington, D.C. On today's podcast, we're talking with Dr. Alan Jetty and Gary Weisel. Dr. Jetty is Professor Emeritus and Dean at Boston University. He is an international expert on rehabilitation and has authored more than 200 publications. Dr. Jetty is a member of the National Academy of Sciences and was the principal investigator of a recent consensus study with TRB. Gary Weisel was also on the committee that produced the TRB National Academy's report we'll be discussing today. He is managing officer at Tronos Aviation Consulting. Mr. Weisel has a wide range of experience over the years, including working on engineering and interiors at B&E Aerospace and Delta Airlines. Thank both of you for being here with us today on TRB's podcast. Uh, you've done such great work with the academies and we're really excited to spotlight it today. Tell us about this new report on personal motorized wheelchairs on airplanes. What are the recommendations from this report and what elements of the report do you think are most important? Well, thanks, Paul. Let me start by saying I'm delighted, Gary and I are both delighted to be able to, to be here with you today and to represent the, the committee that developed the consensus report. In terms of your question, you know, equipping airplanes with wheelchair securement systems from an intuitive perspective is very appealing because it would address many of the barriers that people who use wheelchairs face when trying to fly on airplanes today. And our report goes into considerable detail about the many challenges that people face today uh, who use a wheelchair, who try to travel. The primary finding that people should keep in mind is that from our work, it appears that the concept of using a wheelchair securement system does appear to be technically feasible to do. And a majority of US airplanes, passenger airplanes could accommodate a secured wheelchair. And we think as a committee, it warrants further testing and further investigation to see whether or not wheelchairs would be safe and able to meet the uh, FAA safety and crashworthiness requirements. So that's our basic primary finding of the study. Thank you, Alan. And Gary Weissel, this seems like something that would have already happened in commercial aircraft. Can you give us some history and background on why airplanes are still less than ideally accessible, let's say? Yeah, thank you, uh, Paul. And, and Alan, I, uh, I just want to uh, echo your comments in terms of, uh, you know, our appreciation to be here uh, on the podcast. And this was certainly a team effort uh, by the entire committee, not just Alan and I. But um, to give you a little bit of history, in my opinion, why this hasn't occurred previously is that, you know, once deregulation happened uh, in aviation, aviation became a, a business for the airlines, you know, it's about making money. It's about uh, profit. And when you look at, you have a, a limited space on the aircraft, every square inch of space, the airlines want to utilize that for financial gain and for profit making. There are 
a myriad of technical challenges that go into installing anything on an airplane. Something as simple as moving a seat one inch requires a significant amount of engineering certification, could require testing. Changing the color of the fabric on the airplane requires certification. So what most people don't understand is just the technical and logistical complexity of, of changing everything on an airplane. And when you look at aircraft and interior design, everything is, is an iteration. It's a, it's a trade-off between pros and cons. And so when you develop a layout of what an interior is going to look like, you may go through hundreds of different variations, even for a single airplane, before you try to find the right balance of, you know, how many seats, how close are the seats together, how many galleys, how, what do we need closets, where are the closets located, what kind of in-flight entertainment do we need. Uh, it's a very iterative process. Uh, it's not something, it's not like going down to the, you know, local car dealership and, you know, purchasing a car with, you know, a blue interior and the nav package, right? When you buy an airplane, especially a, a Boeing or Airbus uh, size aircraft, you effectively you're buying the shell and what you do on the inside with the interior is really only limited by the time, money, and, and what you need to, to do there. There are two things, I think. One is finance. You know, these things cost money. You're going to take away space. You know, in our study, the initial study, we're looking at taking away a minimum of probably six seats. When you look at the cost of revenue um, or the revenue generation generating potential of six seats, it's significant per airplane. It varies by aircraft and route and ticket prices, but, you know, it's significant. It can be six figures of profit a, a year. It can be even seven figures. You can be looking at a million. Uh, it's financially driven, number one. And second, Alan touched on it, which was uh, the certification. And, you know, one of the biggest things we ran into or, or we uncovered during our study is how will the regulators consider a personal wheelchair? Is that considered an airplane seat? And airplane seats have very specific and very stringent certification requirements. And now you have uh, hundreds of thousands of wheelchairs that are customized and how do you certify if the if, if the regulator says, okay, the wheelchair has to perform exactly like a fully certified aircraft passenger seat, you know, how do you get over that that hurdle of ensuring that or the wheelchair that a passenger brings on board does meet that requirement? So I think you're really looking at financing, which we did not, you know, our our um, study was purely looking at the technical feasibility. So that's one area you know, of additional study, we think uh, just kind of an economic impact study that needs to be done. And then the second was really on the biggest technical challenge I think we ran across was how would the regulators handle the certification of the, the actual wheelchair itself. Could I add one other point that I think is, is relevant? Gary has gone and explained, I think, really very helpfully the details from the airline perspective. The other thing that least strikes me is that unlike surface transportation, in the early 1990s, when the ADA was passed in this country, ever since then, surface transportation has allowed and accommodated people to use their personal wheelchairs. Airline travel was a major exception in the ADA. And so I think that has also led to it not developing more quickly in this country. 
Alan, this question is for you. And Gary's touched on this briefly when he mentioned there's still more work to be needed on economic studies and feasibility studies, but what other disability and accessibility research regarding transportation, aviation specifically, but really transportation more broadly, would you like to see TRB and others address? Yeah, our report does very specifically focus on several recommendations that we think need to be addressed to move this concept forward. The first one is we think the U.S. Department of Transportation needs to develop a roadmap that really outlines the next steps that need to be taken and what the key priority are with respect to design and engineering of systems in order to allow for wheelchair securement, the development of standards and regulations that are going to be required, as well as training for airline personnel in order to really operationalize this type of concept. So we think such a roadmap is really the first step. And then we think there are two major areas of research that need to be undertaken. And there's going to need to be funding by the Congress in order to move this research forward. The first is we think, again, the U.S. Department of Transportation, as well as the FAA, needs to evaluate which wheelchairs can meet the appropriate and applicable FAA crashworthiness and safety requirements. Some initial work has been done in this area, but really the the detailed work has not been done because wheelchair securement systems haven't been allowed on U.S. airplanes. The second is we think the U.S. Access Board needs to study potential demand for air travel for persons who use their wheelchair if securement systems were provided. We don't know what the potential demand would be. We know how many people with wheelchairs currently fly, and we know a lot about the kinds of problems they run into, but the potential demand for travel by people with wheelchairs is really unknown, and this research needs to be done. Those are the two major areas that are detailed and discussed in our report. This is fascinating research. It's not something people outside of the disability community really seem to be that aware of, but I think the disability community itself is quite hyper aware of it. So I think that there are a lot of eyes on this research and, and excited to see it happening. That said, uh, my, my next question is, is for both of you. We'll start with Alan Jetty. What research are you working on now? It can be related to this topic, or maybe it's something else in the transportation and aviation realm. What research are you working on now that uh, that sort of gets you up in the morning, gets you excited? Yeah, thanks, Paul, for that question. My background is in physical therapy, and I've been doing research over the past 40 years in the area of disability. And so one of the areas that I'm really um, focused on is trying to better understand the process of disability and to come up with ways in which people who have disabilities can more fully engage in life activities that enhance their quality of life. So getting involved in a study such as this one in expanding access for people with disabilities to travel around the country was a natural for me as someone who's been doing research in this area for uh, over 40 years. And Gary Weissel, how about you? Yeah, thank you. 
doing consulting, which is what I do now. My focus with the committee was really on aircraft interiors, and that's where a lot of my business focuses on. So the main research we've been doing, or, or my firm has been doing, is really we stay on top of trends uh, in interiors. So where are interiors going? The biggest thing most most recently is is obviously been the pandemic. You know, the interiors business uh, was booming, just like the aviation business was booming prior to the pandemic. There were phenomenal number of programs by airlines and suppliers to reconfigure interiors to come out with new products. What's the next generation of, of aircraft seat and, and in-flight entertainment look like? It's always, it's, a, it's always a moving target and there's always development going on. So how has the pandemic slowed that down? And then when does the industry expect to see recovery and what will that recovery look like? And how has that changed, let's say the next five to 10 year outlook so what was interesting on this study is just sort of given the timeline in, in the report, and this isn't a quick fix. It's not going to be something we're going to see in the next year or two. This is kind of a long game because of the challenges and the additional research that needs to be done. You know, this kind of flowed well within the type of work we already do, which is where do we see interior products in five to 10 years? And what's interesting when you think about the interior development of new products, it can be a five to 10 year development timeframe before you actually see new products really come online. And what I, when I mean by new products, I mean something that is really a paradigm shift. So going from like 15 years ago, going from a reclining seat to a true lie flat international pod seat. Those type of changes uh, don't happen overnight within aviation because of the engineering challenges, the certification challenges, the financial investment that needs to be done. Where this is coming out now in terms of wheelchair securement systems does lend itself. Where are the interiors going to be? Are they going to include this? We look out at what the fleet is going to look like five to 10 years from now. So I've got tickets on an airline coming up at the holidays, and it's for a carrier that is particularly known as having really small seats. So it's unfortunate to hear that I guess it's not going to be fixed in time for my flight over the holidays. Probably not. <laughs> Actually, the seat size itself in economy class is pretty much set by the width of the airplane and the required width of the aisle. So there's only, you know, so much width you have. When people talk about, oh, the seat's really small, they're talking about pitch, which is the distance between the seat in front of you and your seat. And so it feels smaller because you may be closer to the seat in front of you. Okay, well, I'll be sure and not overeat during the holidays so I can still get in in that seat. Gary and then Alan, this question is for both of you. Gary, maybe take it first. This is a personal question. When did you first become interested in the topic that we're discussing today? What sort of seed gave you uh, the idea to go down the path that each of you has taken? I think my first time on a small airplane, my first flight was probably flying to visit my grandparents uh, from Boston to Florida. It was probably, I think it was like on Eastern or People's Express back in the 70s. But I do remember going up, getting into aviation. I kind of caught the aviation bug. I had a friend of mine growing up. I must have been maybe eight or nine. His dad owned a small general aviation aircraft uh, and he took us up for a flight. And I think that kind of sealed the deal for me with uh, aviation bugs. So I went to college, uh, university and, and got an aerospace engineering degree and then, you know, went into the aviation industry. So I've been in it for over 30 years now. So that was kind of the bug. In this topic, you know, what got me involved in this topic really was my experience and focus, I think, on aircraft interiors and flying. I mean, I was a road warrior being doing consulting. There were years and 14, 15 years straight where I was doing 250, 300,000 miles a year. 
uh, traveling all around the world um, to do client work. So just being involved and, and being a consumer of kind of everything I was working on in interiors and seeing the challenges firsthand, boarding an airplane and, and watching people struggle with wheelchairs. So it was always something that I think I was exposed to. And then when TRB reached out to me to ask me, I immediately jumped on board. Most of what I often focus on is, you know, sort of the financial side, the soft side, you know, helping an airline improve their product so that they can kind of have a bigger market share, make more money. Again, it's, you know, it's a business. Um, It's an industry about profits. And so really having the opportunity to do something a little bit different that it was really for the greater good of humanity, I think was was something that really, um, you know, resonated with me. So I, I jumped at the chance to be involved. We're happy you did. And Alan, how did you get into probably not just transportation and aviation, but physical therapy, as you mentioned before? You're right. I do not come at this from a transportation perspective. It's really interesting that the contrast between someone like Gary and someone like me, it, it kind of epitomizes the, um, the different perspectives on our committee. We were very fortunate. We had many individuals from the airline industry, as well as many individuals from the disability community and people who were really doing research in this area. And so for me as a physical therapist, I came at it from my long experience in working with people with disabilities and becoming very familiar with the challenges that they face in trying to fully engage in life. And over the past two decades, I've been teaching individuals with disability how to ski. And I've become very aware of how well areas can accommodate people with disabilities if they have the the will and the motivation to do that. And the ski resorts in this country have done a fantastic job of making themselves very accommodating to individuals who use wheelchairs, who can access the mountains. And my feeling is, If you can develop an industry like the ski industry that provides full access for people with disabilities to a sport like skiing and snowboarding, we should be able as a country to provide full access to people with disabilities to airline travel. And so that's what got me really interested. And, you know, as someone who's traveled in my career a great deal on airplanes, I see the challenges that people with disabilities face every day who try to fly. It's very challenging. And we have almost 3 million individuals in this country who use wheelchairs because of their various disabilities. And it is very challenging and difficult for them if they want to fly on an airplane. And so that's what got me really interested in this study. As a a former skier whose back went out after I gave birth to my son, that sounds like an amazing idea. That's so great. I haven't been skiing probably since my son was born because my back hurt. But, and this is a question for both of you. We'll start with you, Alan. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on yet that you would like to add? Well, I just would like to emphasize that travel by air for someone who uses a wheelchair today is incredibly challenging. And I don't think the American public fully realizes how challenging it really can be. The risks that you take as an individual who uses a wheelchair to get into that boarding chair and then to get from the boarding chair into the airline seat is quite considerable. 
And we had testimony as a committee from people. It was very disturbing of the kinds of injuries that people have encountered in trying to fly so they can engage fully in life by using an airplane. It's incredibly difficult to say nothing about the kinds of problems that occur with wheelchairs when they get checked on the airplane into the baggage compartments. The stories we heard about the kinds of problems that have occurred, people who get stranded at their destination because their wheelchair was mishandled and and damaged during flight. And then someone who has a complex disability uses a highly sophisticated power wheelchair, they are stranded. You just can't pick up another uh, wheelchair and easily get from point A to point B when that happens. And so uh, I think it's really important for people to understand The current situation is extremely challenging for people with disabilities who use wheelchairs. And Gary, your thoughts? Yeah, and I would second that. Um, What's what's interesting is, you know, I mean, Alan kind of has dealt with, you know, people with uh, with disabilities and and that need to use wheelchairs as part of his career. I haven't. So it was really eye opening to me in those early sessions, those early public sessions that we had, the public testimony to get a much better understanding of the challenge. Yeah, I flew 300,000 miles a year and, you know, I kind of saw people struggle to get in, in and out, but it never, even as much as I travel and knowing interiors uh, and being in the aviation world, it was very eye-opening. So I think that's one, and, and I appreciate Alan bringing that up. I think the other next steps and some of the challenges um, and studies that need to be done is where do we go next and where's, you know, what's the next solution? Alan touched on it, which was studying what's the demand. And it's really important to understand the demand because the demand will drive so much more in terms of what does a solution look like. In our follow-up testimony that we've given in the public sessions and, and in our outbrief to Congress uh, and the, uh, the Access Board, we talk a lot about that, you know, we do show in the report, we show some example and concepts, and it was not our charge to come up with a solution. Having been in this industry now for 30 plus years, if this moves forward, I guarantee the final solution may look very different. The industry is incredibly talented with interior designers, with engineers to come up with very unique solutions to to be able to do things. Very early in my career, when I was at Delta Airlines in engineering, you know, Delta was that we had the Olympics in uh, 96 in Atlanta. And one of the things we had to do was move the torch from Athens to Atlanta. How do you move an open flame? Because it can't go out. How do you move an open flame on an aircraft? Which, you know, the a pilot's worst nightmare is fire on board. Um, and, you know, how do you design a system that will safely do that? And it wasn't a short flight, right? You're talking a, you know, eight to 10 hour transatlantic flight. So just those type of challenges that the industry will rise to and come up with really unique ideas that aren't even, that we can't even consider. Who would have considered 20 years ago that you could have, you know, lie flat seats that could be, you know, a bedroom, a movie theater, uh, you know, an office and all the things that, you know, the interior does today. But this whole thing on demand will drive how many airplanes, do we have to do the entire fleet? Do we do half the fleet? Do we do three quarters of the fleet? Um, Is it something where there's a solution that's permanently mounted in the airplane? Is it a solution that comes in and out of the airplane, depending on whether it's needed? You know, these are all the types of challenges that go above and 
and beyond of, hey, let's just pull out two seats and put down a securement system. You know, I do think the industry, in my experience, the industry is up for it and be really interesting to see the further research and if this gets implemented kind of, you know, looking back 10 years from now, you know, what does the solution look like versus what we heard and saw and, you know, prophesized about, you know, what it would be during the committee. It's going to be exciting to see. Well, Dr. Alan Jetty and Gary Weissel, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. You're building the data, the research, the science that is needed on a very, very clearly important topic. The National Academies and the Transportation Research Board are lucky to have you, and we're, we're so happy that you've been involved in this work. I don't think we've heard the last of it or either one of you either, so we appreciate that, and thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank, well, thank you. you, Paul, and thank you, Elaine. We enjoyed it. GRB's Transportation Explorers is a production of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Ben Brown composed our theme music. The podcast is produced by Paul Mackey and me, Elaine Farrell, and edited by me. Thanks again for tuning into TRB's Transportation Explorers. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. See you next time on the transportation journey.